Steve Harper is a professor at Asbury Seminary, Asbury Theological Seminary in Wilmore, Kentucky, and has also taught at the Orlando campus. Uh, Steve is an exceptional person by anyone's estimation. Um, He is not only a professor, but he is a writer, and his subject matter is spiritual formation. Uh, Steve is insightful, and particularly on the subject of prayer. Steve was invited to be at the South Georgia Annual Conference, which uh, myself and Jonathan and Stephanie and Kathy Bradley and and, uh, Charlotte Edwards attended just about three weeks ago. And at that conference, he was a speaker um, at a luncheon meeting with a group of persons that have... uh, named themselves the Foundry, um, which is a way of connecting with John Wesley's mission work in England in an old building that actually was a foundry. And he did all kinds of uh, justice outreach ministry from that location, an outreach to the poor in, uh, in a very downtrodden uh, community. Steve Harper came as a person who bridged the gap between uh, the divides that are not only in our society but in our church these days. As I said at the beginning, Steve Harper is well respected by all persons who know of him. He stands at a very interesting place. He had been invited by a group that has encouraged the conference to speak to to think more broadly uh, than they may be comfortable in in thinking at the present time. But Steve is respected by those on both sides of the divide. Steve came to share his thoughts and his wisdom, and just by the people that showed up, it was amazing what the Lord was doing in that place. After he spoke, I made a beeline toward the Cokesbury bookstore, which had been set up in the convention center, and I purchased several of his books. One of the books that I purchased is entitled A Pocket Guide to Prayer, and it's aptly named. It's only about three inches by four inches in size, and maybe 40 or 50 pages. It's just tiny. You really can stick it in your pocket and carry carry it with you through the day. And in fact, that's part of the purpose in this tiny book. Steve begins it with these words. God gave each of us the same amount of time. The difference comes in how we understand and make use of the gift. Time must be organized and managed but it also must be consecrated. You and I have developed our patterns of prayer. You may not have realized that, but you have a pattern of prayer. I know everybody that is in this room has some sort of pattern for the prayer that you keep. 
It may be that you pray before your meals. That may be the best pattern that you have found in your life and that you pray words of thanksgiving over the food that you're about to receive and that you make a special time of praying at night before you go to sleep. Whatever your pattern is, all of us can improve on the pattern. Do you agree? I have much room for growth in terms of pattern of prayer, even at this age. It is our Christian tradition that we would be very much patterned by prayer. We, if we follow Christian tradition, would be speaking words of prayer either in our heart or aloud before our feet hit the floor beside our bed when we get up in the morning. Did you realize that this is a part of our tradition? And that it would be followed shortly after our awakening to the day with morning prayer where we offer to God our prayers of praise and ask for his intervention in all of the events of life as they begin to unfold before us. There is to be a noonday prayer. And you may say to yourself, well, I say prayers at noon before I eat, but this is a different kind of prayer. This is a prayer of reflection on what has already occurred and what yet is to occur in the day. There's a prayer that you and I should be speaking at evening and then again at bedtime. We have this pattern of prayer in our tradition. Now, some traditions, some religious traditions, make this obligatory. For instance, in Islam, Muslims are not only expected, they are commanded to pray. And so pray they do five times a day. Early in the morning, pre-dawn, again at midday, and in the afternoon, and at sunset, and then deep in the night, there is this call to be a people of prayer. If this is a part of our tradition too, doesn't it behoove us to get busy doing it? Should we expect anything less from ourselves than other faiths expect from their members? In this book of Psalms, we find aids to prayer. These are expressions and assistance given to us in how to talk to God. In fact, these prayers can become our words too. In fact, they really should be sung instead of read because the book of Psalms is a hymn book. For those that really know it, it's a hymn book. For those that know Hebrew, you will know that there are instructions throughout the Psalms that are musical instructions. We don't know what those instructions mean anymore. 
But throughout the book of Psalms, there are these instructions for the worshiping community on how to sing, when to sing, how the expression would be. Psalms are words that should be sung in our spirits, if not on our tongues. This is important for us to get right. To understand the significance of it all. I go into nursing homes and to make visits. You do as well, I'm sure. On occasion, in my going into a nursing home, I have found it interesting to share a word from a hymn. It doesn't take much to get it started. Even in those places in the nursing homes where there are patients that have severe dementia, it is startling how they can help you in singing. You try it. You go into the hallway of a nursing home here in our community and find someone who may be parked there in their wheelchair or go into a room where they may be stretched out in their bed. Look them in the eye for just a moment. Put your hand on their shoulder. And begin with these words, I would suggest. Precious Lord, take my hand and see what comes next. You just pause. Don't say anything else. You will be amazed at the number that will complete that phrase. Lead me on, help me stand. They know the words. They intuit even when they are not able to understand even perhaps the words. Those spirits that have been steeped in song will share with the world. They will share with the world that is deep within their soul. I think that touching the heart springs is what this is about. And in fact, I think that that's exactly what was going on with our president singing this week over... In Charleston, at the memorial service for those that had lost their lives in that tragic shooting just a week and a half ago, our president sang Amazing Grace. He didn't do a great job doing it. But I was amazed. I really was amazed that our president was singing One of my favorite hymns. And frankly, I think that, I mean, some some people probably are still hanging on the edge and saying, oh, he used this as a political ploy. I don't think that that was it. I really think he was seeking to touch the heartstrings of those that were gathered there and others that would be listening in. I can tell you this. And it touched my heartstrings to hear him singing and to feel the expression in my own way of what all of that means. Steve Harper says, God does not call us to have a devotional time, but to live a devotional life. You remember that the Apostle Paul spoke to the church at Thessalonica. It's recorded in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. He said to them, he said, pray without ceasing. 
We've been trying to figure this out ever since. How in the world do you pray without ceasing? How do you do that? How do you, how do you offer that kind of, of prayer that is always a part of your thinking? Always a part of your spirit? John Wesley used to tell his early Methodists, he said, three rules, general rules. Do no harm. Do good. Attend to the ordinances. Attend to the ordinances. He would say, pray. Morning, noon, night, pray. Have times of personal worship where you offer yourself to God. Assemble as churches, as people of God in small groups and large and offer your prayers. Receive the very presence of Christ by receiving Holy Communion. All of this is crucial to being people in whom prayer does not cease. This is about formation, remember? Not information. Some of you will remember that, I think it was this past fall, I referred to uh, Bishop Watson, who told the story about having gone to Uganda to visit one of the mission sites of the South Georgia Conference that's called Humble School. And there, he said, the children had been gathered for a special event of his being present. And he just said what was commonplace to say in South Georgia. He didn't know how it would work, but he said, God is good. And he said, those children responded and they said, all the time, they had been well coached. And he said, all the time, and they responded, God is good. And he thought to himself, that's great, they did it. And yet it wasn't over because immediately when they finished saying it, they said, because that is God's very nature. Whee! What a wonderful understanding, what a deep understanding of those words. The psalmist wants us to have that understanding of God being so good. God is good. (laughs) Psalm 103 is poetry. In King James Version, it is just unbelievable poetry. Do you all agree with me on that? It is just, it's just unbelievable poetry. In the, in the New Revised Standard Version, it says, Bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me. Bless His holy name. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and do not forget all His benefits. These words have such meaning, such deep meaning for us. We make these words current for us. We hear them in certain ways. I hope that you are making these psalms your own. Leslie Brandt came out with this interpretation of the psalms. This is the way that she interprets Psalm 103. 
my heart is bursting with praises to God. Every fiber of my being reaches out in rejoicing. How can I ever forget his many blessings? He forgives all my sins. He touches my afflictions with healing. He snatches me back from the gaping jaws of hell. He covers me with concern and love. He fulfills my deepest desires and gives me meaning for life and purpose for living. God is a God of justice and judgment, but He is on the side of those who need His help. He is angry with those who persistently rebel against Him, but He pours out His love upon those who turn to Him. He does not give us our just desserts or pay us what we well deserve. He is grieved when we so miserably fail. But he quickly draws us to his forgiving heart and accepts us just as if it never happened. He looks with tenderness upon his faltering children. He knows and understands our fallible natures. Do any of you remember when we made that transition from Hi-fi to stereo. Let me tell you, it was revolutionary in my life. I know some of you don't remember that. You don't remember it. You were born too, too recently. But I grew up listening to my father's records a monaural sound, which was, I was told it was hi-fi, but there was little fidelity to it. But when we got a stereo, finally, and I listened to the Beatles and the Young Rascals and that whole bunch, it was transforming to me to hear these sounds that were coming from different parts of the room. I know this seems so antiquated in this world of surround sound, but it was overwhelming to me to hear these antiphonal sounds that were coming from different speakers. Did you know that the Psalms, every single one of them, is written in stereo. Did you know that? It is. Every verse. It repeats itself and speaks the word in just a little different way. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me, bless His holy name. Or did I repeat myself? Let me repeat myself again. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and do not forget all his benefits. Who forgives all your iniquity, who heals all your diseases, who redeems your life from the pit. These words were words of comfort to those that were in exile. The events of this past week have been interesting for our nation. There are some that are greatly concerned. There are some that rejoice. There's always going to be somebody in the pit. You know that, don't you? There's always going to be somebody 
in the pit. I like this verse particularly. Number six in this psalm, it says, The Lord works vindication and justice for all who are oppressed. For all who are oppressed. These are descriptions of who God is. Who is God? God is merciful and gracious. He forgives. He believes in justice for all. And he remembers that we are dust. Why would that be important? Because you and I don't seem to remember very well that we are dust. I've come to a new realization about it all this past year. My back has given me issues. I've been quite aware of my own morbidity. But this past year, I've even become aware of my mortality. Have you reached that place in your life? Do you realize that your days are numbered here on earth? There is only so much time that we have left to spend in prayer on this planet. Are you willing to waste even one day, even one day, in not lifting up your heart to God? Will we be so distracted in our lives that we would miss the opportunities to see God reaching out to embrace us? He remembers that we're dust. He accepts us all. In all of the confusion of our lives and our living. Because that's the nature of who he is. Hesed. The Hebrew word for steadfast love. Hesed. Covenantal love. Expressed to us today. In this world. In this culture. Whatever may be going on. Mercy in the Hebrew, Reham. The love of a mother for her unborn child. Do you understand how deep this love is? Womb-like love. This is the very nature of how God is involved. As far as the east is from the west, so far he removes our transgressions from us. As a father has compassion for his children, so the Lord has compassion for those who fear him. I talk to myself at times. It happens in the car frequently. Sue doesn't even know that. I talk to myself. I see a policeman or a state patrolman and I say, slow down, slow down, slow down. Do you ever do this? Slow down. I talk to myself. When I do something that is a little stupid, I say, you could do better than this. You can do better than this, Bill. 
When I make mistakes, I say, you can do better than this, Bill. I talk to myself. I try to get myself back on track. Have you picked up on the fact that this is exactly what the psalmist is doing in this psalm? He's talking to himself. I mean, he's talking to God too, you know, because this prayer, this prayer that he is praying is this thing that is directed not only to his soul, it is directed toward God through his soul. He says, bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me, bless God's holy name. You and I need to talk to ourselves on this subject. The fact of the matter is, I want you to say it right now with me. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me. Bless God's holy name. Would you try that? Bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me. Bless God's holy name. The only person I think that might not have had to tell himself to pray. I can't think of but one person. Can you? Jesus. I mean, come on. Jesus. Jesus didn't have to tell himself to pray. Everything, everything we read about Jesus. He is in a constant state of communion with his heavenly father. Everything that we read about him is the absolute depiction of the way it should be in terms of prayer. You and I, we've got to talk to ourselves. Come on, stand up with me right now. Stand up with me for just a second. And say this. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me. Bless God's holy name. Now say it as if you mean it. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me. Bless God's holy name. God wants more for us than to simply shuffle through life. Take this opportunity. Be a people of prayer. Don't miss it. God's waiting. 